0: Because I may say some things sometimes today that you could take out of context to mean something totally different, but I think if you listen to the whole context of what I'm about to share with you, that there's not error in it, but if you take some part of it and run, you're going to be able to to prove error. And so I'd encourage you to help your neighbor stay awake today and to, to pay attention And if I say something that you disagree with it, uh, don't, like, check out on me. Uh, Just keep listening. And uh, I can't guarantee that everything I'm going to say today is absolutely correct. The only way I could guarantee that is if I just stood here and read the Scripture to you. But then even then, our interpretation of it might not be correct. Or the inflection I use in my voice might not be correct. And, uh, And so, we're in a series on the book of Daniel... And we've called it Thriving in Babylon because we're looking at how Daniel and um, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, I didn't say them in the right order, but I got them, and uh, how they lived in Babylon, in captivity, in a nation that was at least equally pagan as American culture is. Okay, sometimes I think we look at America and we... We think that it's the worst that it's ever been, or we look at our culture today, it's not the worst that it's ever been, okay? Human nature has been human nature all along, and what has happened has happened before. Um, If you're a student of history, you understand that. History tends to repeat itself. Uh, We just tend to forget history. And sometimes looking back on stuff, we call things the good old days that really weren't the good old days. In fact, uh, someone the other day referred to me and said, you know, you're a lot like Winston Churchill. <laughs> like, you're right, because everyone hated Winston Churchill when he was alive, most people, but then when he died, everyone loved him. So everyone's going to love me when I'm dead, not so much when I'm alive. And so um, I joked with them, but we tend to look back on things that, you know, from this perspective now we, we love. Churches tend to look back on pastors that they didn't like when they had them and say, oh, that pastor was so great. No, you've just forgotten the flaws that you didn't like when he was here or she was here. So thriving in Babylon, and we've talked about part one and part two was knowing our God and knowing our God more. Because if we are going to respond in a culture that's opposed to God, and by the way, culture should be opposed to God because it's full of sinners and sinners are opposed to God so don't be surprised when culture is opposed to God just learn how to respond to culture the same way that Daniel and his friends did. We have to trust that God is working for our collective good, that God is absolutely in control of what is happening here on the earth, and he has empowered his church to respond to culture and live in such a way that his glory is revealed. Some of us have the misconception that God's glory is going to be revealed in a culture where all the laws that are passed are biblical, That's not how it's supposed to happen. In fact, if you read the prophecies in the book of Daniel, the kingdoms of this world will always be futile. But we have become the kingdom of our God here on this earth to live in whichever culture we find ourselves in, in the kingdom of God and to display the power of God. Our job is not to build an earthly kingdom for God to live in, it's to live in the spiritual kingdom that he's already established. And we work so hard to try to create this kingdom where God can rule and reign, and he's like, "Uh, I already rule and reign, and I'm in you. Live like it. And most of us live like we're defeated. Like the, the things that are happening around us and laws that are being passed, and the way that Democrats or Republicans or President Trump or President Obama or whichever person, you like or don't like. We just think, oh, we're losing. We're not losing. We haven't lost anything. And we can learn to live in this power. And we, we've studied the, the prophecies of Jeremiah and Habakkuk to show us that God was at work. He said all this was going to happen. And I challenged you last week, get in the word, do what the word says, be filled with the spirit and pray. That's how we know God. I've given, there are supplemental books that we're going through Thriving in Babylon, The Daniel Dilemma. They are available for you to pick up in the back. Today is the last day if you want them. Um, they will help some of what I'm sharing make sense if you don't make sense of it. Um, I don't have time to go into great detail on what they cover in the book. That's supplemental. So if you want some more information, some of you have said, man, I love what you're teaching. Where's where it coming from? Read those books. Because it helps put it into context and it helps it to grow. Wednesday nights we've been watching um, a series, a sermon by Matt Chandler called The Foundation of Fire. And uh, that's a supplemental thing too. It's on Facebook. I can send you the link. If you don't have it, it's also on YouTube. You could watch it. But I believe we have to live in a culture that is opposed to God and live the way Jesus did. Full of grace and truth. The Daniel Dilemma, the subtitle of the book, is called Standing Firm and Loving Well in an ungodly culture. Standing firm and loving well. Because there's an extreme of standing firm and proclaiming truth. And there's an extreme of just loving well and proclaiming grace. And we're not supposed to live in a balance between the two. Maybe you thought that. Maybe you thought, well, we got to find this balance between grace and truth. We don't live in the balance of grace and truth. We live in the tension of grace and truth. Jesus came full of grace, full of truth. And the church tends to live full of one or the other. And it depends on what season we're coming out of. Martin Luther, do you remember Martin Luther? He, you know, tagged his theses. It's almost coming up on his day here, November 1st, coming up. And uh, all of you Martin Luther fans, listen to this quote from Martin Luther. History is like a drunk man on a horse. No sooner does he fall off on the left side, does he mount again and fall off on the right. And throughout church history, it's still been the same. I mean, we tend to go from one extreme to the other extreme. And we tend to like extremes because they're easier to live in. It's easier to be black and white extreme here or black and white extreme here than it is to live in the tension of being full of grace and full of truth. But that's where we've been called to live. And today, we're going to talk about knowing our identity, knowing who we are in Christ, because this is just as important as knowing who our God is. We will not respond correctly to our culture if we're not sure that God is at work. We're not going to respond correctly to our culture if we're not sure of who we are in Christ. So we're going to go back again to Daniel chapter 1. If you want to turn to it in your Bible you can I put it on the screen today so we could all see it together too but Daniel chapter 1 let's read it again Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it and the Lord delivered Jehoiakim king of Judah into his hand. so see God is at work God delivered the Israelites into the hand or at least the nation of Judah into the hand of Babylon along with some of the articles from the temple of God It's not like someone ransacked our church and took this table or took that keyboard. These items are not real sacred. I mean, we tend to think they are, but they're not, okay? But in the temple of God, in the old covenant, the stuff in the temple was, like, super sacred. And yet God allowed the king of Babylon to take them and put them in the temple of his God. Huh? I mean, there's... There should have been like judgment instantly, right? Because that's how we live. We think if people live a certain way, God's going to judge you instantly. He's, but here even in the old covenant, God did this. I mean, we've got to understand what's going on here. And he put them in the treasure of the house of his God. Then the king ordered Asphanaz, the chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility. Young men, without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians now this would have been against Jewish law they're not supposed to study the cultures and the language and the literatures of foreign gods and foreign people what what's going on how is this even possible the king then assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table they were to be trained for three years take out that word trained They were to be indoctrinated for three years. That's what's going on here. Okay, you're trying to take people from their homeland and make them your subjects. You're you're forcing them. The Babylonians are good at this too. They know what they're doing. You think we're good at torture? You think we're good at stuff today? They understand how to make this work. And then for three years, and then after that, they were entering into the king's service. Among them were Daniel... Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. The chief gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. We'll talk about that because it's okay to do all these other things, but apparently this is too far. We'll we'll figure that out here in a second. So he asked the chief official for permission. He asked for permission. He didn't walk in there and say, I ain't doing this, you just go ahead and kill me. He asked for permission not to defile himself. Now, God caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. See, if you act like a jerk, Don't expect God to give you favor to people. The Lord says, honor all people. All people, even the ones that are being jerks to you. And if you don't honor them in return, God's not going to give you favor. You want to fight for yourself and you want to fight your own battles? (laughs) Go ahead. But don't ask God to fight for you if you don't play by His rules. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. Even the Babylonian stuff, they weren't supposed to know. In every matter of wisdom and understanding which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. This is so mind-boggling because they're not supposed to even study the language and the literature of Babylon, but they not only studied it, they graduated the top of their class. And they graduated with 100% and everybody else was at a 90. That doesn't really mesh with our theology today. See, when God called them to come into the land of Babylon, he intended to bring them back. And so he wants a remnant to be preserved that does not become like the Babylonians, but lives set apart among them. The Babylonians. And we're going to talk about some of the things that that he called them to do that it's like, man, how does this go together? But when they come into the king, they they study the literature, they, they do all of this stuff, they're being indoctrinated, and they even change their names. We're going to talk about this a little bit more next week or next time when we talk about our agenda. We have to know our agenda also. But changing their names is a big deal because in this culture, your name is your identity, your name is prophetic. They were not just given names randomly. In our culture today, we're getting a little better at that. We choose our names more strategically for our children, but we tend to just pick one that we like and it sounds good. They understand the meanings of names, and they call themselves things for a purpose. So let's look at what these names mean. Daniel means God is my judge. So the Babylonians decide to call him Belshazzar, Lady Protect the King. If you think gender identity is a new thing in our culture, it ain't. It's alive and well in the kingdom of Babylon. They call him a feminine name. Why? Because they're trying to indoctrinate him. They're trying to emasculate him. In fact, some people believe that they were actually castrated as they came into the service too. Because they want to humiliate them. It's not enough to just take them into captivity. They want to totally use mind games on them to get control of them. And yet somehow, God allows them to go through all of this and they still are 10 times better and yet they still remain faithful and true to God through all of it. We can too. Hananiah means Yahweh has been gracious so they change his name to Shadrach. I am fearful of God. So crazy. Mishael, who can compare to my God? Meshach. I am despised, contemptible, and humiliated. Azariah, Yahweh has helped. Abednego, the servant of Nebo. So you went from being a servant of God, Yahweh has helped me, to the slave of a person. So every time their names are called out, it's an indoctrination. Three years. And what's odd is, Daniel refers to himself as Daniel through the rest of the book, but in chapter 3, when we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, we actually refer to them by their Babylonian names. And you grew up in Sunday school referring to them by their Babylonian names. Isn't that interesting? But yet, when we come to this thing where they refuse to, defile, to not defile themselves with the food and the wine... Scholars disagree. They don't understand why this was the straw that broke the camel's back. Um, Some think it was they were not only breaking the dietary laws, but they were actually eating meat that had been sacrificed to idols. And so by taking it into themselves, it was not being prepared according to the law. They were actually going to be losing their distinctiveness. And so this was the one that they had to draw the line. When we look at this, we in our culture, our Christian culture, tend to view everything as equally important. I don't know that I'm saying we shouldn't. But when we look here, it's as if God is directing them to do this and to allow them to be a part of this, but yet somehow the participation in this is too far. Now, lest you think I'm giving you permission to sin, I am not nor will I be at any point during this sermon, even if you think you hear me say that. But from the book, Thriving in Babylon, let's read something that maybe will help us put this in perspective and and think a little. Daniel's response was very different from the typical pattern of resistance and withdrawal that so many advocate today. When forced to participate in workplace training that advocates new age paradigms, or so-called diversity, many of us are encouraged to opt out as if taking the course is the same as endorsing the course. But it's not. The same goes for our response to some of the godless content taught in our public schools and universities. When we boycott classes we don't like, We unintentionally forfeit our right to speak to the issues raised. But when we follow Daniel's lead and work hard, graduating at the top of the class, people have to listen. Daniel had a captive audience when he graduated at the top of his class and he got to be valedictorian and he got to give a speech. And he got to say whatever he wanted. Now, I know he didn't give a speech, but that's what we're talking about. He's earned the right to be heard. Daniel also had the wisdom to understand that godless people live godless lives. He never forced his righteous lifestyle on others. Even as he rose to positions of power, he did not try to impose his walk with God on those who didn't know God. It's a lesson that many of us are slow to learn. I know. I flunked the test the first time I took it. As a college and graduate student, I worked night crew at a grocery store. It was an eye-opening experience. I thought I'd heard it all in the locker room. But crass language and sexually charged conversations that took place each night in the aisles were far more deviant than anything I'd ever experienced before. As a new Christian, I made the mistake of trying to shut it down. I told some of my coworkers that I was offended when they used the name of Jesus as a curse word. I let them know I was troubled by the constant degradation of women as sexual objects. I despised the foul jokes and language that everyone else thought was funny. I was sure God was pleased with me for taking a stand. I was proud of my godly influence, but in reality, I had no godly influence. All I did was ostracize myself. Some of them cleaned up their act around me, but they mocked me behind my back. I became Preacher Boy, and a few other names I won't put into print. Taking a stand did nothing to draw them to Jesus. It simply confirmed their negative stereotype of Christians. They put me in their Jesus freak box and sealed the lid. We never had another serious conversation about life or Jesus again. My problem was a lack of perspective. I thought their biggest issue was their garbage mouth and godless lifestyle. But their biggest issue was not knowing Jesus. By trying to enforce my Christian values and sensibilities upon them, I lost the chance to introduce them to the only one who could clean up their act and forgive their sin. He's not advocating Just be silent and do nothing and just let everything happen around you. He's advocating a strategic lifestyle of godly influence among the pagans of our world, among the people of our culture that begins to influence them to accept Christ as Savior and Lord. There is no hope for someone without Christ to clean up their act. There is none. In fact, Paul tells us in the New Testament, the only reason the law was given was to show us we could never keep it. We have been called to give our allegiance to a different kingdom. Daniel understood it. Jesus proclaimed it in John chapter 18 when he told Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. The first church, the first century church proclaimed it. I believe the modern American church has lost what it is to live in the gospel of the kingdom. It is not a kingdom of this world, but it is a radical, life-altering gospel. When they preached the gospel of the kingdom, when Jesus preached it, it was offensive to the Jews. It was offensive to the Romans. It was treasonous. When the first century church preached it, it was offensive to the Jews. It was offensive to the Romans because it demanded total allegiance of yourself to Christ. All throughout church history, we have tried to force it on people through the Crusades, through Constantine passing laws that demanded that everyone follow Christ. Even today, in what we call our Christian nation, trying to get people to buy into the Christian values without buying into Christ as Savior. And all we would do is send people to hell as more moral. I'm not opposed to moral laws. I'm not opposed to honoring God with the laws we passed in our country. But I'm more, I'm more concerned that we capture the hearts of people and bring them to a relationship with Christ that can get them to the place they need to be. Frank Viola is an author that wrote a book called Insurgents. And in that book... Because here's the thing, I believe the reason that we don't understand our identity in Christ is because we don't fully understand the gospel of the kingdom. And in his book, Frank Viola in Insurgents, he shares a story about a kid named Jeff. Jeff grew up going to church. But Jeff became disillusioned with church because Jeff saw people who went to church but didn't live much different than the rest of the world. Oh, sure, they didn't do the the certain sins on their list, but the way they treated people, the way they were involved in each other's lives, those things were just missing. There was no community in the body of Christ. And Jeff got plugged into a group in the United States that was a part of an Islamic terror group. And he was repulsed by the fact that they wanted to kill people and take over the world, but he was drawn by the the total allegiance and the community that existed among them. So he was easily brainwashed to join them. He actually moved to Syria and became a part of an Islamic terror group. How does a guy go from growing up in church to an Islamic terror group in Syria? Well, here's what Frank Viola says. By contrast... Jeff's Christian friends hardly knew one another, lacking deep relationships. I mean, they came to church every Sunday. They said hello. They knew nice things about each other. No deep relationship. They didn't feel like they were taking part in a great project, something cataclysmic, world-changing, and worth dying for. They were more excited about football, their careers, and their material possessions than they were about Jesus Christ. In our world today, there are three gospels basically that are being preached. One of those gospels is full of truth only. We sometimes refer to it as legalism. And our relationship with Jesus is understood as keeping rules. And somehow, either salvation starts or it's maintained by keeping the rules, by keeping the laws. Christianity, the Bible teaches us that our salvation depends upon Christ from start to finish. It is not a gospel of truth only. Does this mean that we can live however we want? No, 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 no. Paul clearly tells us in Romans 6 that just because grace appeared does not mean we should sin more so that more grace appears. But the gospel is not just truth only. So again, let's fall off the horse on the other side. There's a gospel that is preached that is grace only. And this gospel is pretty much, let's just get people to say a prayer so that they get to go to heaven when they die. And all you have to do is just add Jesus, make him a supplement to your already busy life. He'll give you peace. He'll give you security. He'll give you hope. But my question is, is it even real? Because it's just grace only. The lordship of Christ is downplayed because of the love of Christ. The problem is, both of these gospels are proved by the Bible. That both camps, they, they pull out Scripture after Scripture after Scripture after Scripture. And the thing is, they're not wrong. They're just incomplete. Because they tend to lean too far to one direction or the other. And here's the funny thing about people who are truth only or legalists. They view everyone who's not just like them as grace only. All people who are not just like them. They're all grace only. But the people who are grace only view everyone who's not exactly like them as legalists or truth only. And yet God's called us to live in the gospel of the kingdom that's contrasted to both full of grace, full of truth, not motivated by guilt, not motivated by condemnation, not motivated by shame, not motivated by the fear of hell, not motivated by religious duty or even a hope of heaven, but motivated by the love and the power of God that is displayed in Christ Jesus. It's hard to live there because it's not black and white. Because it's not cookie cutter. Because I can't apply it to all people equally. I actually have to get involved in people's lives and help them grow. I can't stand afar off and just shout things at them. Because I don't know what's going on. Still with me? All right, good. So Frank Viola says this. One of the things I've learned in my spiritual journey is that the closer someone gets to Jesus Christ, the less judgmental, self-righteous, harsh toward others, and selfish he will be. Now, he did not say the more religious people become or the more they go to church or the more they read their Bible, they become like this. The closer people become to Christ, because you can do all those things and not get any closer to Christ. You can go to church every time the doors are open. You can read your Bible every single day. You can do all of these things and become very religious but not be closer to Christ. What's the test? (laughs) How judgmental, self-righteous, harsh towards others, and selfish are we? The closer one gets to Christ, the more they will desire to know and live for God's ultimate purpose. In other words, the more we want to look like him, the more we actually want to clean up our lives so that we model him correctly to a world that's watching. The lordship of Jesus Christ and the liberty of Christ are two sides of the same reality. The gospel of the kingdom liberates us from the defiling acts of the flesh on the one hand and sets us free from the self-righteousness of the flesh on the other. So if we're going to know our identity in Christ... If we're going to be rooted in it, here's what we need to do. We need to come into the gospel of the kingdom. One, in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, look what it says. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have new life. The gospel of the kingdom says this. When you recognize you've broken God's law, and all of us have, when we come into the kingdom, we say to God, we've broken your law, we have no ability to keep it. Thank you for sending Jesus to pay our price on the cross, to die for our sin. We accept it on our behalf, and we commit that you are now the Lord of our lives. And the first thing he wants us to do is be baptized. That word baptize is actually the word to submerge in something. Okay, so we in the church world have made it a religious ceremony. So if you grew up in a culture where you as an infant had water sprinkled on you or you had water poured on you, I don't want to make light of an experience you had, but that's not what this book says. The Bible says that we are baptized. Why? Because it's symbolic of going into the ground and dying to ourselves, dying to our agenda, dying to our desires, and being raised to newness of life. That's why we follow him in water baptism. For those of you that have never been baptized in water in that way, on November 10th, you're in luck because we're having a baptism service and you need to do it. Not because I said so, but because he said so. In Matthew 28, Mark 16, he said, go into all the world, teach people what I said, and baptize them. Repent and believe and be baptized into the name of Jesus. We don't believe baptism saves you. We believe your faith in Christ saves you. But baptism is your first act of obedience. And we believe something prophetic happens when you die to yourself and you're raised to life again. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new. So let me give you two words, you can write them down, or you can just try your best to remember them. Let me give you two words that I believe form our identity in Christ. The first one is justification. I know it's a big church word, but I'm gonna define it for you, so don't get, don't get scared. Romans chapter three, for all have sinned. Yeah. All, <laughs> I know that our world tries to teach us that we haven't, but guess what? All of us have, every single one of us has broken God's law, and I don't care how small or minute that law was that you broke. If you broke one, you're guilty of all. I know that's not fair. But God didn't leave us in that hopeless state. He sent his own son to become the sacrifice for our sin. All of us now are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Justified means literally just as if I'd never sinned. The moment I say I have sinned, I believe you died for my sin and I commit to make you Lord of my life. I am perfect. Before God. Romans chapter 8 says there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Our salvation totally depends upon Christ from start to finish. It's in the book, Hebrews chapter 12. You should read it. Nothing that we do from that moment forward either adds to our salvation or subtracts from our salvation. Our behavior at that point does nothing for our justification. It's totally on the basis of what Christ has done for us alone. But you know there's a but coming <laughs> because there's a second word. The second word is sanctification. By the way, this is grace and truth. Grace and truth, grace and truth, right here. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be His holy people. Don't let that word holy scare you, especially if you grew up in a time when people had a list for what it meant to be holy. That word just means to be set apart. So the same way that Daniel refused not to defile himself, he chose to be a remnant that God could bring back from Babylon and establish his kingdom again. You and I have been called to be those set apart people so that together with all those everywhere, Not just people in the assemblies of God, not just evangelicals, but anyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's important because we live in a day and age right now where we are splitting hairs doctrinally. That if you don't agree with every single thing that I believe, we aren't of the same faith. I mean, we pretend to call each other brothers and sisters, but then we come to the Lord's table and we're going to take communion together. Well, sorry, brother, you don't believe just like us, so you can't come to the Lord's table. Then it's all phony. If we can't come to the same table and we don't believe in the same Lord Jesus Christ, the only truth that was worth dying on in the New Testament church was what we did with the cross. What we did with Christ, if He alone is our basis for salvation, Him and His work alone, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Nothing else is essential. I know that we all think other things are essential, but nothing really is. It's all faith in Christ. And there are people in society today, it's crazy, if you've watched anything this week, don't get involved. Just walk away, okay? Walk away, walk away, walk away, okay? Live like Christ called us to live. So we are all in this process of being sanctified. Sanctified is where I've surrendered to the lordship of Christ, and now every day I'm walking that out. Every day I'm making him lord. So I read something that he says, hey, by the way, there are things in this book that are really black and white. And there are things in this book that, that aren't, okay? But the ones that are black and white, like when you read it over and over throughout this Bible, that the Bible says, don't do this, <laughs> if he's Lord, you're not going to do it. Uh, well, wait a minute, Pastor Tom, didn't you just say that nothing adds to my salvation? Absolutely. But how many of you know the Bible says that sin is deceitful? It tells us that everything is permissible, but not all things are beneficial because our hearts actually can be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin and we can actually be led away from our pure, and devo- pure devotion to Christ and live however we want. We have been called to live according to what Ephesians chapter 4 says. As a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. So you've been brought into the kingdom, now you need to live accordingly. And for those that say, well, you know, I just don't know, I I don't feel that, I don't sense that. Hey, if he's Lord, I don't care what we feel. I don't have to feel it. I mean, I know that we all like to have our preferences, but if it's clear in this book, I'd recommend we do it. That's what Lord means. (laughs) But I know in our culture, we like to massage the word Lord and think, well, it doesn't really mean like total control. Yeah, it does. And it repeats it over and over and over again throughout this book. When we come to faith in Christ, we've chosen to make him Lord. So I tell you this, he says, and I insist on it in the Lord. You must no longer live as Gentiles or sinners do in the futility of their thinking that is not the way of life that you learned when you heard about Christ and you were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And then he starts listing things like don't lie and don't steal and don't use unwholesome talk and don't let anger build up in your heart and you you do things that you shouldn't do and don't be bitter and don't live in impurity and don't have greed and don't slander one another and here's the thing we love to preach these lists because it's easier to give you a list and say this is what you need to do you need to do this this this, and this and then you're pleasing to God but my job isn't to teach you the list my job is to say get in this book My job is to teach you how to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit so that when you get in this book, you apply this book to your life and you live it out because the problems with lists are they're never complete. See, what we do is we come to a list and we're like, all right, I'm keeping all of Ephesians 4, but you know the crazy thing is Paul told the Corinthians church he was very upset with them because of the lawsuits that were happening among them. See, what was happening is they were taking fellow believers to court. Wow. So like if someone mistreats you and you actually sue them or you call the authorities on them or you, you, you go to their boss and you get them in trouble, you mean that's actually in the Bible not to live like that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, if someone's safety is at risk, you see a child being harmed, by all means, pick up the phone and call the authorities because the authorities' job is to protect people. So do not allow a child or a woman or a man or anyone to be harmed and let the Bible be the, you know, well, I didn't call the authorities because of the Bible. We're just talking about things that people do that bother us, you know, maybe to take advantage of us. What? We should... People should be allowed to take advantage of us. No, 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 no. The Bible says there's a way to handle it because we're believers now. We've been called into a kingdom. We're not supposed to call the human authorities. We're supposed to handle it. We're supposed to actually go to that person first. Oh, we don't want to do that. But he's Lord. And then if that doesn't work, go with them to their boss. Go with them to an authority. Say, hey, if you can't take care of this, I can't let this continue. I'm going to have to call an authority. That's what we do. Or we take them to the, the full body of Christ. We handle it. We do it. We don't like to do that. But hey, we keep the list in Ephesians 4 so we're, we're holy. See, that's the problem with lists. I could point out something in this book that one, I'm really good at this. Okay, my flesh is anyway. I, I could spend Ten minutes with you, I bet, and find some way you're disobeying God. That's the problem with our lists. And that's the problem when we stand back from people and we're not engaged in their lives. We're not gently correcting people. We're just shouting at them from a distance. That's the problem. Because we don't have the information we need to do that. In fact, when we get into knowing our agenda, we're going to talk about this. Because Paul tells us in Corinthians, don't judge the people of the world. I mean, they're living godless lives. They're supposed to judge those in the church. But then in Romans 14, he says, who are you to judge another man's servant? It's not that we're not supposed to be involved and help each other grow. We're not just supposed to shout at it from a distance. And some of us, we just want to come in, have our little Sunday service, appease our conscience and go home. We don't actually want to be engaged in each other's lives and grow. Great, then don't get involved in their life on Facebook, yelling at them, calling the authorities on them. If you're not going to be engaged with the body of Christ, then don't do it the wrong way either. I know it got really quiet in here. But this is how we're called to live in the body of Christ. And we don't model it. I am sick of what has happened over this last week. If I hear Beth Moore, John MacArthur, Kanye West... Toby Mack, one more time. Everybody's got an opinion. Everyone's got something. Shh. If you don't have access into Kanye West's life, if you don't have access into John MacArthur's life, if you don't have access into Beth Moore's life, don't shout from a distance. If you disagree with an issue, speak to the issue. You don't have to judge someone else as outside the body of Christ. Oh, be very careful who we put outside the body of Christ. That's not what we're called to do. I've tried to be very careful to respond to the conversation without naming names. I'll teach you why I believe women are called to be in ministry. I'll teach you why I believe what the Bible says. That doesn't mean if you disagree with me, you're outside the body of Christ. Here's what I was tempted to do, by the way. I was tempted to watch the John MacArthur video. I shouldn't have watched it, but I watched it, and instantly, what rose inside of me was not pure and devotion, pure devotion to Christ. It was not gentleness, and so I had typed out my response. And I, and I, here's what the Holy Spirit said. What good is going to come from that post? Like, you're right. Are you doing the same thing to John MacArthur that you are accusing him of doing to Beth Moore? Yes, I am. Why don't you just post the truth that you believe and let people figure it out? See, I don't have to throw anyone under the bus. I just live it out. So here's the thing. We're called to be justified in Christ and we're called to be sanctified. Just because you don't feel like obeying doesn't mean we're called to. But don't shout at people from a distance. Let's get involved in each other's lives and help each other grow. And here's the thing just because you can see it in their life doesn't mean you even have to speak to it. You might be called to just pray into it. Because my guess is, for everything we see in someone else's life, there's probably at least one in our own that we need to deal with. And so let's develop the kind of relationship with one another in the body of Christ where we actually help each other grow. And when we see someone walking in error, we actually gently correct them. We actually walk with them to get them to that place. So, here it is. You want to come into the kingdom, surrender your life to Christ, live justified. Don't live in condemnation, guilt, shame, none of that. Don't live in it. Live in justification. But don't live however you want either. Live according to the calling that you've received and allow the Holy Spirit to sanctify you in this process. Put into practice the faith that you claim. And we're gonna pick up on it the next time. We're gonna talk about knowing our agenda and walking in that. But I wanna ask you to just bow your heads with me quick. I know that we've come to the end and I know that it's already 11.30 and I've kept you longer. But just give me one moment if you would. And I want you to process, because I cannot preach a sermon like this and not give you a chance to respond. And we're going to respond this way. If you're in the room today and you have never accepted Christ as Savior and Lord the way I described, maybe you've lived a religious life, you've lived a dutiful life, you go to church, but you've never said, God, I've sinned, I've broken your law. I put full confidence in what Christ did for me and I surrender to your Lordship. You've never made that commitment and you want to make that commitment today, I'm just going to ask that you slip up your hand and say, I want to do that. I want to admit that I've sinned. I want to believe in the work of Christ. I want to surrender fully to him. I don't want to just add Jesus to my already busy life. I don't want to just go to church. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Anyone else, that would say. Anyone else? I don't want to just do part of it. I want to surrender fully. Anyone else? I'd love believers all over the room to be praying right now for those that are wrestling with this decision. If you've never surrendered your life to Christ and you say, today's the day I wanna do it, just slip up your hand, put it right back down. Say, I wanna make that commitment today. I wanna be justified. I wanna live sanctified. I'm going to ask one more question. If you're in this room and you've been making excuses for your behavior, you've been letting what other people do or, you know, you've been trying to get around what the scripture's clearly saying. And, you know, there's a verse in Hebrews 12 that says, we not only throw off the sin that entangles us, we throw off anything that hinders us. And so if the Lord has spoken to you in the past about getting something out of your life and you have trickled yourself right back into doing what he told you to walk away from. Because you convinced yourself, well, that was just an emotional experience, or well, maybe, and you've walked back into something that you claim your Lord told you not to do. You say, I need to get away from that again. And you're wrestling with something today and you just want prayer. Would you slip up your hand? Say, I I need to release that. Anyone else? Anyone else? I don't wanna live in disobedience anymore. Anyone else? That's so awesome. I don't want to live in disobedience anymore. All right, I want you to stand with me all across this room. I'm going to pray for you and then I'm going to dismiss you. Thank you for being patient and waiting. After I dismiss in prayer, you're going to be free to go. But I want you to do it quietly because if you lifted your hand, I'd encourage you to come and find a member of this prayer team or come and find a place to pray at this altar or even just kneel right there at your seat. And just take a moment and surrender it fully to the Lord and make it right before you walk out this room. And so, Father, I thank you today for salvation. I thank you that you've opened a way for us to be in right relationship with you. God, I thank you that you've brought us into the kingdom of the Son you love because of your death and your sacrifice. God, I pray for those in this room that raised their hand today and want to make you Lord of their lives. Holy Spirit, I pray that from this day forward, you'd help them to surrender every part of their lives fully to you. Help them to walk in the fullness of your power and the fullness of your love, living every moment justified, continuing to walk in sanctification. God, for those that are wrestling today, with laying down something that you've already told them to lay down. They're struggling with lordship. Give them grace today to lay it down. And I pray for this body today. God, unite us together like never before. God, we're not gonna live like we lived in the past. We're not gonna live like any other church. We're not gonna justify our behaviors or our actions because anyone else lives a certain way. God, we're gonna live according to what your word declares. And God, we're gonna walk with each other We're going to encourage each other. We're going to gently correct each other. We're going to handle ourselves the way your word calls us to live. God, we're going to live in the kingdom of the son that you love. We're going to live it out daily. And Holy Spirit, we need your grace in our lives. We need your empowerment and not just our willpower. And so seal those things in our hearts today. Show us the steps that we need to take as we leave this room today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Now, God, I pray your blessing over this body today that you would bless them and keep them, that you would cause your face to shine on them, that you'd lift up your countenance upon them, and, Father, that you would give them peace. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you as you go.